Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Our Sunday morning worship crowd has been gathering slowly and steadily over the past several weeks, and it's good to to see everybody. Uh, I think also me removing a bunch of chairs from the front has kind of pushed everybody together a little bit more, um, <laughs> which may or may not have been the intention. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you why I did it. No, um, it is good to be together as we continue our series of incarnation. This is our season of epiphany, right? Jesus came at, at Christmas time, and epiphany is kind of the season of saying, okay, what's he up to, right? And this year, I'm, I'm telling, teaching, saying that the Word became flesh in Jesus. You know, God the Son came in flesh, walked the earth so that, and it's not the only reason, but so that we could become the Word uh, you know, the word can become flesh in us as well. And so as we begin this week, um, talking to parents or children who have parents, so that should include everybody, I would think, at some way or another. Um, did you grow up in a home or do you currently live in a home where there are favorite children? Get some people, make people nervous, a little uncomfortable. You don't have to point. <laughs> Kids are like, I know who the favorite is, right? It just, um, or maybe mom or dad would always choose that that child's side. Maybe you're the parent going, I don't mean to always pick that side, but I kind of have a tendency to. Or as a kid, you can say, oh, I knew dad was always on my side, or mom was always on my brother or sister's side, something like that. Um, but you, you can tell that maybe there's a certain way that, that and, and that creates anxieties. Even asking that question, there was like, oh, wait, how do we answer that honestly? Like, what do we do with that question? Well, our text this week, the scripture that we're, we're going to look at here in a moment, kind of makes it sound like God has favorites. Or God at least is choosing a side. And uh, that can be really uncomfortable. To think that God, because we, we talk about this, God's for everyone. God loves everyone. Jesus came to die for the whole world. And so when you, when you point at a scripture that says maybe Jesus, maybe God is picking favorites or God has a side, um, that could be a really difficult text. And, and I didn't just choose this text out of thin air. I follow most of the time the lectionary, um, which is a, a three-year cycle of, of scriptures um, each and every week, there's, there's four scriptures tied to this. There's a, a gospel uh, scripture. Uh, there's a psalm or something worship related. So what Pastor Hannah read for us a little bit ago, Psalm 1, that's from the lectionary. What Paul just read from Jeremiah a moment ago, that's from the lectionary, um, the gospel this week. And then the only thing that kind of get that I got left out was a, a New Testament reading, a letter from Paul or something like that. And uh, anywho, it prescribes... Uh, kind of what we're going to look at. And, and, and this is important. For some people, it's uncomfortable to, to know that their pastor is being handed or prescribed something to preach from. It's, they are uncomfortable that maybe they're uh, not following the Holy Spirit or you know, too limited or too constricted or something like that. And I want to tell you that making the decision to follow the lectionary is probably the best thing I've done pastorally um, because I would not pick the scripture out to preach from. Today, There's just some scriptures that the lectionary kind of puts in front of me that I would not have gravitated to. There's never a question where I sit down on a Monday morning and go, let me find a scripture where God talks about his favorites. 
or where God picks a side and leaves other people out, right? Like, this would not be something that I would sit down and, and you know, I'd rather preach John 3.16, for God so loved the whole world. Like, that would be a much easier message for me to sit down and write than one where he says certain people are blessed and certain people are cursed. But the reality is the scripture that we're going to look at in just a moment is something that Jesus taught his followers, and so we can't ignore it. And this is where the lectionary pushes me as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, but also challenges us as a church to explore all of scripture and not to just gravitate to our comfortable areas. Um, the scripture comes from Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 17 through 26. Luke 6, 17 through 26. It'll be on the screens where you can follow along in your Bibles or devices if you would prefer. Um, it says, He came down with them, he being Jesus, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, and that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what the ancestors did to the false prophets. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirits, gather our minds that we may be one with you. Open our ears that they may hear your word. Soften our hearts, that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Um, you can see why I labeled this as a bit of a tough text. The first part sounds really good, right? Like hungry people getting food, um, people that don't have stuff getting stuff. I mean, it sounds encouraging and uplifting, but as that teaching of Jesus goes on and on, it sounds like God's kind of picking favorites. He's picking a side based off of how much money you have or your attitude or your posture towards others. It seems like God might have favorites or he's, he's picking a side. And honestly, if you let these words, especially the last few verses, the woes speak to us, if you take them seriously, it may sound like there's a possibility that God is picking the other side. He said, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. The rich and poor is such a difficult category for us today compared to the, the scriptural times because we live in such close proximity to millionaires and billionaires. But if you live um, 
If you made $1,500, $1,500 last year, you are in the top 20% of the world's income earners. If you brought home $25,000 or more last year, you're in the top 10% of world income earners. If you earn more than $50,000 annually, you are in that top 1% of the world income earners. So it puts rich and poor in a little different perspective when you think of it that way. Jesus then says, blessed are those who are hungry now and woe to those who are full now. Have you eaten recently? <laughs> like within the last couple of days even? I mean, are you hungry right now? Do you have access to food if you wanted? I know some of you might be thinking, the shorter the sermon, the less hungry I'll be when it comes to lunchtime. I know that's on some people's radars, but if you can access food when you wanted, when you need it, maybe God's saying he's rooting for the other team. He says, blessed when people hate you because you live like Jesus tells you to live. He says, woe to you if people say nice things about you. I mean, don't we all want people to like us? Don't we want compliments? Don't we want people to see the, the, the fruit of our hard work to reward us for what we've done well? I mean, we do so much to get people to like us, to be a part of a community, a family, a whatever, to be successful. Jesus says, woe if people say nice things about you. People might call you an enemy or call us an enemy because of our political affiliations or our views on health care or because simply maybe they're just mean people or maybe we've been unkind to them. So they, they might say that person's my enemy for those various reasons. And the truth is a lot of people have issues with Christians today. Like general society has issues with Christians today. But it seems to me that Generally, the issue with Christians is that we don't live like Jesus teaches us to live. There's a lot of people that like Jesus, but have an issue with the church. And so maybe that's an issue. But he says, rejoice when you face hard times for doing what Jesus teaches us to do. As we're faithful, as we're obedient, as we're doing the things that he teaches us to do, there will be people that resist that, that push back, that hate you, because of that, that call you an enemy because you're following Jesus. And he says, those are the blessed ones. He says, woe to those who are laughing today, because you will weep and mourn tomorrow. This is a difficult teaching, right? You're supposed to just walk around and be upset all the time, depressed, don't laugh. And so we have a couple different options when dealing with these difficult teachings. Uh, we can do what our instinct tells us to do and just kind of move on quickly. <laughs> that was an option for me as I was sitting down to plan the sermon. Yeah, let's find something else. Let's preach on Psalms 1. That's encouraging. Right? <laughs> we can ignore it. We can deal with it in a superficial way, kind of trivialize it. Maybe find one little nugget in there and, like, turn it into an inspirational thing. Um, Again, hungry people are getting fed. Like, we could turn this whole thing into about Jesus helping hungry people get fed. I could have done this whole thing about his hands, food pantry feeding people, and, like, it could have been a celebration, and, like, this could have been a positive, encouraging message, and hopefully it still will be, but we could have avoided wrestling with what Jesus was saying here just by celebrating one little part of it. Or maybe we, we try to make it symbolic. Maybe we 
come to the conclusion, well, Jesus didn't mean what he said. Right? He, was, he was pointing to something else or it was contextual. It doesn't mean us today. He was talking to that crowd specifically or something like that. We can find a solution that maybe makes us comfortable, at least comfortable enough, and then move on. And let's kind of stay out of Luke 6 for a while. Let's not go back here. Or we can wrestle with it for a few minutes and kind of see what shakes out. And since you're all here, got your coffee this morning and got dressed and came to church and the kids are in children's church and, and I've written a sermon on Luke 6 and I've got a slide presentation for Luke 6, like why don't we dig into this this morning? But before we do, before we jump into those scriptures, let's, let's get the bigger context, let's get the big picture. And when I mean the big picture, like 10,000 foot view before we jump in. And to start with the 10,000 foot view, I'm going to say this. Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> right? Like I said, we're going to start big picture. The blessings and the woes or the blessings and curses, that structure of Jesus' teaching, uh, it's a construct that was used often in Jewish scriptures. Um, it was how they taught in synagogues. It was how they taught in their communities. It was how they dealt with religious teachings. So this blessings and curses structure shows up a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. It shows up in other Bible texts. Um, for example, the scriptures we've already read this morning, Psalm 1. Happy, which is the same word in Hebrew for blessed, can also mean fortunate, are those who delight in the law of the Lord. As Hannah read this morning. But not so for the wicked, it says, right? So it doesn't say the word woe or curse, but it definitely is implied. So we have happy, blessed, fortunate are those who love the law of the Lord. And cursed are the wicked. Not so for them. Another idea behind the idea of woes and curses are these are people to be pitied. These are people that, that are to, we are to take pity on. Now, Psalm 1, uh, we saw it, uh, the same thing happening in Jeremiah that Paul read a few moments ago. Cursed are those who trust in men. Cursed are those who trust in mortals. Right? You put your hope and your trust in men. Woe to you. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. You see this dynamic. This, this happens all over in Scripture. And once you're aware of it, you'll see it as you do your reading. Even in um, non-biblical Jewish books, you'll see this curses and blessing structure. Uh, writings that are outside the Bible, we can see that combination. But what really sets Jesus' teaching apart, and we, we kind of know this, right? Jesus, he was Jewish, but he did some things differently that kind of set him apart. And so what really sets Jesus' blessings and curses teachings apart is that they're the opposite of what you'd expect. Right? You would expect somebody to say, the rich are fortunate. Man, they've got it going well. Man, they are to be envied. They have, it, they have what we're all looking for, but pity the poor. Those sad, sorry, poor people. We take pity on them. Instead, Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, pity the rich people. And blessed and happy are the poor. Jesus uses this traditional Jewish teaching method, but he has a plot twist, and it'll get everybody's attention. So that's kind of step one, understanding what Jesus is doing here in a Jewish context. But the next step in understanding this difficult text is understanding who Jesus 
is talking to. And it's right there in the scriptures, but sometimes we kind of blur lines and, and can miss it. Who was Jesus speaking to? Well, Luke identifies three distinct groups of people or three different peop- people in his scriptures. In Luke 6 here, he says there's Jesus is there, obviously. Um, and then there's his disciples and followers. And then there is the multitudes, he calls them, or the large gathering that has come from other cities, from Judea, you know, all of Jerusalem, Judea, and, you know, it says Tyre and Sidon, which are outside the boundaries of Israel. People have come, foreign people have come to come and touch him to receive healing, right? So there's this large crowd that has come to hear Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to get rid of unclean spirits in their lives. And then Luke says that Jesus looks at his followers when he begins to talk. Right, so there's this scene going on, crowd, people getting healed, people, a massive crowd, people from all over the place. And right before his teaching, it says he looks at his disciples. In verse 20, he looked up at his disciples and said, um, and so he's addressing his followers in this instance. And this is what he tells him. He says, uh, it's not the people that he came to see him that he's addressing, but it's people that have been following him. It's not non-believers. It's not uh, foreigners and Gentiles. But the the blessings and curses are directed to his followers. So we know a little bit about what he was teaching, and we know a little bit about who he was teaching. And now it seems like he begins teaching his disciples in response to something. Because nothing kind of triggered this, right? Like he was just healing people. There was a crowd and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, he starts blessed and cursed, just throwing blessings and cursings out there. Like what prompted this? Well, paint this picture in your mind. Set the, set the scene. Use your imagination for a moment. There's this large crowd of people that are getting healed, having unclean spirits cast out. I mean, maybe you've seen some Jesus-type movies and so you got this in, in the wilderness or wherever he's at and he's He's preaching and teaching and casting out demons and all these things. And there's this massive crowd. People are touching Jesus. There's this mob trying to get to him. And he's healing all these people. Do you think that Jesus and his followers would be pretty popular with that crowd? Do you think they'd be excited about who Jesus is and and the people that are around him? It doesn't say how long this was going on, but it says that all these people were healed and cleansed, so that would probably take a minute for all these people to touch them. So there was probably this energy, this excitement, this buzz, right? There were people who were grateful. There were people that were excited. They were relieved. They were, they were, they'd been healed miraculously. This was the best thing that had ever happened to them, people who felt they owed a great deal to Jesus. Now, if there was ever an opportunity in the life of the, the Jesus and his followers to leverage the work that God was doing for their own benefit, this would be the moment. If there was ever a moment to monetize or capitalize on what God was doing, this would have been it. They were heroes. They were doing the work of God. It would have been easy for them to take advantage of this moment. And it's in that moment that Jesus starts telling his disciples that the poor are blessed and happy and inherit the kingdom of God. 
It's the hungry who will be fed when God makes all things right. It's those who mourn because of the things in this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, um, that are comforted. They will receive comfort in God's kingdom. It's those who are rejected because they follow the ways of Jesus who will be welcomed into the kingdom with rewards and celebration. He says those who are empty or lacking in the kingdoms of this world will be filled up in the kingdom of God. So why do you think in that moment Jesus started teaching his disciples that? Those who are filled up in the kingdom of the world, who will be, they'll be the ones that are empty in the kingdom of God. Jesus says if your treasury is full of worldly things, it'll be empty in the kingdom of God. If you laugh because you're comfortable in the kingdom of this world, you will mourn in God's coming kingdom. If everyone thinks you're great and says you're great in the kingdom of this world, then you're no better than the false prophets. People that use religion to gain power and popularity. There's a crowd gathered around. There's energy. There's excitement. There's, it would have been real easy to use that moment for their own gain, to use the blessings that God had given them to build themselves up, to fill themselves up. They could achieve status, recognition. They could be popular. They could be celebrities of the day. They could be heroes. They could develop their own influence. But Jesus tells them those who remain empty will be filled in God's kingdom. Those who fill themselves up now will be emptied in the coming kingdom. Okay, so what does all that have to do with us today? What are we supposed to do with that teaching that Jesus spoke? What are we supposed to do with that today? Are we supposed to take it literally? If you laugh today, you're going to weep later. I mean, I've already heard some people laughing this morning. Get ready to cry. <laughs> Is Jesus threatening you? If you laugh... You're going to get punished? Do we take that literally? Um, if you're not currently hungry, you will be hungry later. God's going to withhold food from you. Like, do we, do we take this teaching literally and apply it to our lives that way? I mean, it gets really confusing if you just try to make a formula out of it or try to make a law out of this. But there's something really important that we need to grasp going on here this morning. And I, I think it's something that if we miss, if we don't understand it, then we're missing a critical element about Christianity, about being the church. When we are faithfully doing the things Jesus calls us to do, people will receive healing. They'll receive forgiveness. They will receive grace. If we are faithful and obedient, people will be healed. People will receive God's blessing in their lives, redemption, new life, mercy, grace. If we are doing those things, if we're being faithful to the teachings of Jesus, the world will receive some of those things. And when they do, when people in our communities start receiving forgiveness and grace and mercy and all that, they're going to want to tell you how great you are. Right? They're going to want to celebrate the wonderful things that you are doing for them. And this is why church leaders who are seeking affirmation uh, because they are insecure or they're seeking applause because they are proud can do so much damage to a church. Right? Because, because people will line up and tell you how great you are doing. People see God at work and attribute it to a pastor or a church leader, a ministry leader. And I'll be honest with you. 
It feels really good. Being a pastor, being a minister, you wrestle with insecurity all the time. The needs are bigger. You never feel like you have all the answers that people are asking of you. And so when someone tells you that, hey, you're doing great, you're the best, they want to put you on a pedestal, it's tempting. But that's pastors. As a, as a Christian, maybe you're not called into full-time ministry or something, but as a Christian, you can experience that same draw, that same temptation, maybe in a more subtle way. With this relationship with God, because you're a Christian, because you're a follower of Jesus, there are benefits. There are blessings that come your way. The Bible talks many times about God's people being blessed, about God's people receiving grace, about God's people being healed, being loved with the love of God, being given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and all that comes with that. So I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to understand being a Christian, to be somebody who receives blessings from God. But Jesus sees his disciples getting a little too comfortable with the attention from the crowd. Maybe a little bit too excited about their status, the celebrity that they're receiving. I mean, it would be tempting to turn this calling and blessing into a project that enriches yourself. And so Jesus in this moment, right when things are getting at their biggest and their, their most exciting, and today's language we'd say most viral, right? Like they're becoming influencers. They've got all the followers on the social medias. He stops and says, are you the hero of this story? Will you be the hero of your story? Or does your story point to Jesus? He says, what are you going to do with these blessings and gifts that you have received from God? To be a follower of Jesus means you have received blessings and gifts and all these things. And he's asking his disciples, what are you going to do when people want to make you the hero? That's what the false prophets did. They took something that God was doing and made it about themselves. What are you going to do when serving in a ministry means that suddenly you have a, a title, a position? You might even have a budget, right? Like, you're a leader. You're recognized. And you're doing good things. Would you use that as an opportunity to serve others and to celebrate Jesus? Would you embrace the mission of helping people love God? Or, or will we fall into the temptation of helping other people love you? And I get it. This is, this is tough. We live in times where, where sometimes we don't feel like we get enough recognition or it's hard to go through life day in, day out. And Jesus is asking his disciples or pointing his disciples to the reality that they can choose between pointing people to him or pointing people to themselves. Are you going to be uh, one uh, who sees your identity of being God's people as a way to fill yourself up, to bless yourself? Is that the mission that you're, you're on, or are you going to see it as a way for God to fill up those around you to bless others? Are you going to invite God to pour all of God's goodness into your life and try and keep it for yourself? Or are you going to see yourself as one who gives as freely as you receive to let God pour blessings through you? Is being freed from your sin and brokenness about only us as individuals? Or does God call us to use that healing and that freedom which we've been given for the sake of others? 
Jesus makes it clear in this teaching that you cannot be focused on filling yourself up. Your mission cannot be to make yourself great. Your goal in life cannot be satisfying your own needs and your own desires and, and making yourself comfortable. Jesus says there's no way to hoard blessings in the kingdom of God. A focus on oneself, to, uh, an attempt to hoard blessings, to hold on to them, will only corrupt these good and gracious gifts. We see that modeled over and over and over again. The manna that he provided for the Israelites in the wilderness would only last for a day. You couldn't stockpile and hoard them. The, the treasures that you try to store up in, in bins and barns and buildings will rust and corrupt and can be stolen by thieves, right? This is what Jesus is saying. You can't hoard the things that God has given you, so give them away. God affirms our worth and our value. This is a, a truth of Christianity that God loves you. But what happens when we start to see that that is a blessing only for me? If I don't look around at those uh, who are around me and share the good news of God's affirmation with them, then my sense of worth can easily turn into a sense of pride, a sense of arrogance. God loves me. God has chosen me. God has equipped me. God has empowered me. God has put me in this place. God has given me these abilities, and it become pride. There's a huge difference between I have value and I have the most value, or only I have value. God gives us talents and God gives us gifts. And if we use them to fill ourselves up and chase after the comforts and popularity in this world, if we try to make those gifts about ourselves, we will corrupt them. They will become selfishness and greed, and we make an idol of ourselves. God might create opportunities in your life to develop relationships with people in need. You could take that moment when you develop that relationship with somebody that is searching for something, that is looking for something, you might take that moment and let them know that you're the hero with all the answers, that they should follow you. Or you could let them know that Jesus is the answer and they should follow him. So Jesus was telling his disciples, there was this crowd gathered and he was telling his disciples not to focus on filling themselves up, not to use this moment to draw attention to themselves. And we need to hear those words from Jesus today. He is inviting us to a kingdom where the values are completely different than the kingdom of this world. He's inviting us to a kingdom where you can't hoard or stockpile blessings because it ruins them. You have to give them away. He's telling us that, yes, God will fill you up, but not for the purpose of you staying filled. God blesses us so that we may in turn bless others. Blessed are the poor because they are not hoarding what they have received. Blessed are those who weep because their heart breaks with compassion and concern for those around them. Blessed are those who are unpopular, those who are even hated because they point others to God instead of themselves. They give credit to God. They celebrate God as the source of their blessing. It's the false prophets who lie about who God is in order to get people's praise and celebration and pity those who look at the world filled with pain and with hurt and with brokenness and then laugh and remain comfortable those are the people that Jesus is pitying that you can look at this broken world of all these people in needs and, and say oh I'm comfortable 
Jesus says, pity those people. Cursed are those people. Pity those who see others in need and choose to remain filled up with the gifts that they have that God gave them rather than choosing to give them away. Woe to those whose mission is to elevate themselves, to make themselves more comfortable. Because if you stockpile treasures in the kingdom of this world, you'll be empty in the kingdom of God. If you give away your treasures of the worldly kingdom, if you store up your treasures in heaven, if you understand that if you try to serve or to save your your own life, you will lose it. If you understand that those who give away their life receive life, if you remember that the first will be last and the last will be first, if you remember that the greatest in God's kingdoms or God's kingdom is the one who embraces a position of servant, if you remember that we shouldn't be worrying about what we need for tomorrow because God will provide for us the entire kingdom, if you hear and believe all these things that Jesus himself has said and taught his disciples, if you hear and believe them, you realize that God's chosen people are chosen to give the world the blessings of God. It really boils down to a simple question. Which kingdom is more important to you? Because the truth is that these kingdoms do not exist sequentially. What we've done in Christianity is is talk about, well, the kingdom of the world is here and now, and the kingdom of heaven is what happens after we die. But that's not how Jesus talks about the kingdom. Jesus went around saying the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you can choose which kingdom you want to live in right here today. So today you can be at work trying to fill up yourselves in the kingdom of this world. But you're emptying yourselves in the kingdom of God. And so on the screen, this is the question for us today. Which kingdom are we putting our trust in? Which kingdom do you want to have your treasures in? Which Which voice do you want to hear telling you that you are doing well? The world's. Woe to those when everyone speaks nice about you, Jesus says. But the reward for a life well lived is God greeting us with, well done, good and faithful servant. Which praise would you want? Which accolades would you rather receive? Which kingdom would you rather your treasures be in? Because if you want to be full and happy and carefree in the kingdom of this world... You can make that your mission. But know that in God's kingdom, you'll be empty. If you pursue the values and the treasures of this world, you will be empty in the the things that God says are most important. You'll be hungry, and you'll be weeping, and you'll be empty. But if you see God's kingdom, this upside-down kingdom where value isn't determined by checking accounts or popularity or social media followers or status or power or uh, as the kingdom that you want to be great in, then, then give away the treasures of that kingdom. Receive the blessings and the healing and the freedom from the gifts that God sends and then give them away. It truly is a blessing to be a follower of Jesus, is it not? To have heard the invitation to follow and to say, yes, this is the greatest gift that God has given us, to be part of his family, to be one of his children, to be a follower of Jesus. So should we not be doing everything we can to help others receive that blessing? We don't want people to think that we are great, but rather to understand that God is great. Our mission is to invite and to equip people to love God, to follow God, 
If you can put the next slide up. I introduced this last week as we were talking about inviting people. The first little circle logo thing up there says, Love God in worship. And this is what, what we are working hard to do as First Church, to invite people to love God. I mean, I, I want to be loved. I want people to like me. <laughs> and as a pastor, I'm in a unique position where I could probably make that, <laughs> make that happen more. Use the resources, the blessings, and all the, in my position to, to make myself the hero of the stories. But I don't, I don't want that more than I want people to love God. We've, I've been talking with folks. We had board meeting this week, and I've had a lot of conversations before and after that. And, and I, get cel- I, I celebrate when families come in. I'm, I'm grateful for the, the families that have become part of our church in the last year. You know, George and, and Susie came from California. Craig and Ann and, and, and their group came uh, and started serving. These guys jumped in. They're longtime Nazarenes. They walk in the door disciple. And I celebrate that, but I was telling people this week that success for me is when this is filled up, this baptismal is filled up, and somebody stands here in front of you and says, I was lost. I had no idea what, my, what was going on, but you guys loved me. And you shared with me God's love, and I have found Jesus. And I want that more than I want people to like me. So my hope for First Church is that when people see us, that they see Jesus. We, as individuals and as First Church, are not the heroes of the story, but Jesus is the hero. Our kingdoms aren't growing, but the kingdom of God is growing. Will you embrace that mission with us as a church? And the reason I'm preaching this, this isn't, this isn't a condemnation, this isn't a judgment. As I was preaching this, I'm thinking, well, I bet what people are wondering why I'm taking this tone or preaching this. Is this isn't because we've been doing anything wrong. This has everything to do with the fact that I expect the crowd to show up. God is doing something in and through us. And I expect healings to start happening more often. And, and, and people to show up trying to just touch Jesus. I expect this church to, to be a, a, a method, a vessel of forgiveness and grace and mercy into our community. And when that comes, when people start knocking on our door saying, I heard about something going on here, I want us to be ready to point people to Jesus. It'll be, it would be good to point it to us. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good at this. <laughs> Did you hear me pray? I'm really good at praying. I want us to be ready. God is preparing us for this, this mission of pouring out his blessings into our community. So embrace this mission. Let's point people to Jesus.